Hi, I'm Marjorie Healy, and welcome to another episode of Behind the White Picket Fence, where life is both messy and beautiful. Today we have on Sarah Everett, who is a Montessori educator and teacher, and she is also the mother of three children, a three-year-old daughter and seven-month-old twin boys, which is amazing that she's found an hour to speak with us today. Um, so thank you so much for coming on. Thanks for having me. That's welcome. Um, and I think I have so many questions for you. So we'll probably, we'll talk about both your teaching experience, uh, the Montessori uh, way and uh, what it's like to be a mom. And I, you're not my first uh, guest that has twins. I think all parents of twins can really relate and understand uh, each other, but it's so nice to have you on when your twins are so young because you probably have some things that you can share with our listeners that will make them feel better about motherhood or at least not alone. I'll do my best. Yeah, right? we'll just dive in. Okay, yes. so my first um, question to you is, how did your teaching and all of your education, and you know, having all the experience being a Montessori educator and teacher in the classroom for years with, with little kids, and knowing that one day this was going to be you, or hopefully you, and here you are in it with three young kids of your own, how did it prepare you? What did you learn? And what did you say to yourself, okay, this is how I'm going to try to apply it in my day-to-day -day motherhood role? Yeah, so I am a primary specialist. So I teach, I've taught for about mm, going on 20 years, I guess. And I kind of, I was, I've always been drawn towards the primary grades. So for a long time, I taught kindergarten. Then in Montessori, I did kindergarten as well as one, two, three. Mm -hmm. And uh, for a little small stint, when I came back after my, after Matt leave with Bailey, I taught grade four or five, which was a really interesting, sorry, grade four, five, six, which oh, was a really interesting twist. And then I went back to kindergarten. So I've kind of had a big range. Nice. And um, I will say the struggle is very real when right. you have that, that understanding and knowledge of children and their development and their capabilities and their um, stretches and all those pieces and you see all these kids every day every year and all the differences and you know my opinion of motherhood was very different before I became a mother and I always told myself as a teacher like oh when I'm a mom I'm never gonna let my kids watch tv <laughs> and I'd stroll into that classroom and be like I know what I'm doing and now that that kind of attitude has really shifted, especially since having the twins, having Bailey. I mean, Bailey was a, she was a, she is a kind of unicorn baby. She did what I wanted her to do. She is this compassionate, kind, caring soul that just loves life. And when the boys came along, mm -hmm. I kind of everything that I ever told myself as a teacher, I totally went against right. TV, like nobody's business, because it's the only thing I can do to cope. Wow. Um, and so the struggle is, is it, it's different. I mean, I take all that knowledge that I learned and all that expertise and filtering then into your own children and your own parenting is really 
it's different. I mean, you're with these kids, not just for six hours a day, you're with these kids all day, every day. And if you don't build in those breaks for yourself, you're with them all the time. And when I had Bailey, it was the beginning of the pandemic. And so I think by virtue of that, it was lonely. Um, But I still can't get over the fact of like how lonely parenting is and mothering is you have to pull the decisions you have to like stick to your guns and I feel like the biggest struggle of having all that expertise and all that knowledge of being a teacher and now kind of porting that into navigating my way through being a mother is the feeling judged I constantly feel judged. Right. I can relate to that a little bit too, because, you know, I was a parent, you know, I was, I am a parent coach and I have these redheaded identical twins that, and everyone knew who I was and what I did. And I, I felt often in the community under a little bit of a microscope, like, Mm -hmm. how is she going to handle that? And I would feel on display and the pressure. I think I knew Actually, I don't think I do. I did do this. I remember telling my kids because I'm a very honest and also humorous mother. I think there's a a big piece of motherhood that needs a sense of humor because it's so crazy that if you can't laugh at some of it, you, you know, you won't survive. But I, we'd be in the car and we'd be getting ready to go into the local grocery store. And I would say, okay, We just need to go in and get five things. And remember, mommy's a parent coach. So what I need you to do is get in the line and make a train and follow me. And we're going to quickly get through it and we're going to get out. You're going to get a balloon. We can't ride the horse because we don't have time and get back in the car. And and everyone's going to be okay. (laughs) And like, you're doing all the right things. You're doing all the things that I would tell a parent as a teacher to do front load your kids, talk about it, create a list, set the expectations, like all of those things are happening. But the second you walk out of that car and you're in the grocery store, you're like, and, and of course, someone's going to have a meltdown. Like it's, it's only natural. And you watch your kid melting down and you're like, everyone's looking at me like you're the teacher what are you going to do you must have all these tools in your toolbox why is your kid doing this and I I'm sure nobody is judging me but I just feel very judged Um, and um it's hard it's it's probably the hardest thing everyone told me when I when I found out that I was pregnant with the boys everyone said well if anyone can do it you can do it Mm. And that's really like, it is a compliment. And I, I do know where that, those words are coming from. And I take it as a compliment because I know no one's, no one's trying to be malicious. But at the same time, I was like, but I don't like, I don't want to, I don't want to prove to people that I know how to do this. Like, I just, I want to feel like I can't do it just for a minute. Right. And what if I can't do it? Like, who cares that I'm a teacher and that I have all these tools and that like, I, I'm good at teaching. Like I, what if I'm, what if I'm a crap parent? Like how do we, and I don't, you know, it's like that, 
those yeah, pieces that it's true and I think having all the knowledge doesn't doesn't make you well I mean it gives you some information but what if you're sleep deprived you could have all the information in the world and then not be able to access it because you're too tired absolutely or, um, you know, what if you have all the information in the world and you know exactly how to do it, but you, you get robbed of any kind of fitness that you'd like to do to keep you, keep you somewhat sane, like a, a pillar of your health, all those pillars of health, you know, whether it's sleep, nutrition, fitness, um, hydration, connection to self, others, um, a spiritual connection, all of those things that keep us well, we sort of get robbed of as a parent, or those things get tested because we lose time, right? All of a sudden, it's not just about us. We're caring for all of these little human beings. But when you were a teacher, you had access to all of those things. You had access to a full night's sleep. You had access to fitness. You had access to seeing friends after work. You had access to any kind of um, spiritual meditation practice you might be doing or, or, you know, whatever it was, you had access to probably more time to create healthy food if, if that was what you were you know or if you had you know thought about those kinds of things there was at least time to incorporate uh pillars of health but sure. once you you can have all the logical pieces yeah and not always access to it in the moment yeah right? for sure and like you only now you only have um a, like those precious moments to have all those other pieces so what are the most important pieces is yeah. it going to see your family is it going to see friends is it going to exercise is it going to church or whatever that might be whatever yeah. that might look like yeah. you only have certain moments where you can fulfill those needs those other needs and so you have to really kind of prioritize it in a weird way. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's challenging. I think too, and I want to know your feelings on this. There's a little bit of when they're not yours. So if, they're, if these little primary kids come into your classroom, they're not your kids. So as much as you love and care and can't wait to see them flourish in the classroom, you don't have the same emotional tie to them that their parents do. So I would find if my kids misbehaved, and even though I had access to all of this information, it might trigger a fear of mine. Like mm -hmm. do something and I'd be like, oh my gosh, what if they're never going to grow out of this? Or what if they're, you know, never going to be able to figure this part of life out? And, I, and you kind of fear often leads you to be catastrophic in your thinking and you all of a sudden you know they're just being mean to their brother and then you wonder if they're going to be a kind human being forever right yeah. um, so you, it, that's a silly example but it triggers a, a fear because you're so emotionally attached to 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 them and their upbringing and who they are and it that doesn't exist I don't think in the classroom what are your thoughts on that yeah I think um I mean, there's so many different teachers out there and different styles and different um, ways of going about it. I, I took on a lot with my students. I took on a lot of like emotional, not baggage, but emotional parts of teaching where the social emotional piece was always a priority for me. And so um, how they acted as a human was like, a big piece of my teaching right. and so I took a lot of it on 
and I took a lot of like parenting on and so I would always email parents and you know I'm always giving them websites to look at and articles to read and um, things to consider and you know trying to while also trying to understand that they have a lot going on and that I'm just trying to offer support and so it would be kind of in a um light way um but yeah it is different with your own kids it is definitely different I I watch it with Bailey she (laughs) she has some struggles right now at her school with friends and friendships and you know the classic three-year-old touching each other and pushing each other and finding finding your space and finding your voice and finding your personality and identity and stuff and I, I have to, I have to like, remember that I'm the parent and not the teacher and like taking on those different roles. Right. So it, it's, um, it is different. You are much more emotionally attached to your own child and every piece of all the, the people that are impacting those kids and what uh, your kid and how, those pieces are all coming together to form their identity, right? Yeah. So it's like what I do and how I act is impacting Bailey. How my husband acts is impacting Bailey. How the teacher acts, how the teacher assistant acts, what all these things do and how that forms this child's identity and comfort and love and acceptance and all those pieces. So yeah, it's hard. Oh, it's really hard. Yeah. Hard. You want to like, you just want to make sure it's all going to be okay. Like, how do I, how do I protect you? And how do I make sure it all goes well? And how are you going to handle all the bumps and bruises of life? You know, and how, how are you going to become resilient and, and know what parts to adopt as your self-identity and which parts to let go and, and watching them learn that is really hard. Mm, it is right because every experience they have uh, becomes part of of who they are they decide how they interpret those experiences Mm -hmm. so as a teacher if you put your teacher hat on for a second you're you're both a parent and an educator and and so when you you know come off of that leave and you get back in the classroom and, and even before you were on that leave what did you want if you could you know offer in advice or uh, words of wisdom, let's call them, right? Because nobody has to, advice is, is, you know, it's like I always say advice is like noses, everyone has one. And and, um, I personally don't like to give advice, but if we were to offer uh, food for thought, what would you tell parents who are bringing their kids um, into your care and and knowing, I mean, you're amazing and I know how much you you do care about their social emotional being. And and I always have said, you know, I don't, they can't learn if they're not feeling socially and emotionally well in the classroom anyways. So what would you offer parents if they could help you as an educator, or if there was something they could do at home, if there was a way they could drop them off or or anything they could be doing on the outside of the classroom, what would you invite them to do? So I think, um, the, the first thing that comes to my mind, and it's probably because of the Montessori piece, is mm-hmm. independence. The mm-hmm. quicker you can foster that independence as a parent mm-hmm. for your child, the easier the transition will be when they come to school. So whether that's 
kindergarten, preschool, whenever they start school, maybe it's grade three, they've been homeschooled, whatever it looks like, um, fostering that independence is huge. Um, and it, it's part of the Montessori philosophy is that, you know, allowing the child to figure stuff out with you kind of watching over and, you know, intervening when you need to or when they would like you to right. and kind of slowly showing them the way of how to pack your lunch how to put your lunch kit in your backpack how to make sure that you have all those things done um, before you leave for the day so did you brush your teeth did you um, did you make your bed? Did you make your lunch? Did you have breakfast? Did you pack your water bottle? Do you have extra clothes? Do you need extra clothes? Where's your backpack? Did you put your backpack in the car? Have you gotten in the car? What do you need before you got in the car? Have you put your socks on? Do you need a jacket? All those pieces, right. and all that executive functioning stuff that kind of fosters that independence of getting them out the door and I understand that getting kids out the door is like an atrocious task to begin with atrocious. we could do a whole podcast on how to get the child out the door you could and we should but let, let I digress for 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 a minute but I'm coming back to that yes yeah and it's um so but like helping them figure that out so you know with Bailey it's I have this visual schedule because I thrive on visual schedules I bought this really cute one from some Canadian company and uh -huh. um it's a visual schedule of like what to do in the morning and what to do in the afternoon and it has a little spot to tell me how you feel uh -huh. and she wakes up in the morning and is very low expectation because she's three right. <laughs> but it's uh -huh. like the days that she wants to do it she'll come up and she'll tell me what she is so maybe she's tired and she does she'll put up tired and and then she has the things that she needs to do in the morning before she gets to go to school you know I definitely pack her lunch but maybe she'll feel like in the morning that she wants to cut up her cucumber and put it in her lunch kit and so she helps me and she peels it and she cuts it and we sit beside each other now it takes like a crazy amount of patience mm -hmm. to do all those pieces but for a child to understand and that they can do something on their own and to feel good about it, it's like, it's a game changer. It's hard in the moment, but the gain on it later is so huge that, you know, it, it, it makes her feel like she belongs. She belongs in her house because she contributes to wow. being in her house. And I think for any parent out there that's, um, trying to help them feel like they belong at home or feel like they belong in the school, which to me is very similar spaces. Um, fostering that independence and, you know, dropping them off at the door and saying goodbye and maintaining that space, that school space is the child space. Right. It's not the parent and child space. I'm sorry. It's unfortunate. <laughs> But you get to come in when you're invited and that's special, but that's their learning space. That's where they get to grow and make a friend and make, you know, make some learning happening happen. Like they, 
that is their space. So once you've done all those things to foster the independence, they will feel that much better about being dropped off and heading into the classroom. Right. That's so, um, you know, I think there's so many variations on how schools operate and what our parents' role is in a school. It's so nice to hear you say that. And I, I think there'll probably be some people who may argue with it. I, I'm not sure. Um, but I love what you said. It's their space. It's their space to grow. It's their space to learn. It's their space to figure out social. What works for me? What doesn't work for me? How do I manage when my friend... Um, um, and I have conflict. How do I manage when I feel frustrated with my teacher or my teacher, you know, is trying to teach me something and I feel frustrated with the learning process? How do I feel when I've had successes in the classroom and, you know, when or when I get to display, um, you know, something that I've accomplished there? And and also another piece of what you said was contribution. And I wanted to touch on that because, I think there's so much to be gained from helping your children understand that the family runs because everybody's contributing and a school runs for the same reason, right? What does it look like when they contribute? Absolutely. And I think it's hard um, going back to the piece of like, it's their space, the school mm -hmm. space. It's hard when your child is having a panic attack or a freak out because you the parent are leaving them I mean I've seen it especially in kindergarten it's it's yeah, I I deal with it for months at the beginning of the year mm -hmm. and you know I've had kids where I literally have had to hold them because their mom or dad are leaving and I just, I'm so grateful for all the parents that have just trusted me and have known that like, I've got it and I will keep your child safe. Okay. And I've had conversations with parents in the past, just saying like, I, I promise you, if it gets really bad or it doesn't resolve itself, you will get a phone call or you will get an email or whatever it looks like. And on the same, on the flip side, when that child comes in almost 95% of the time within five, 10 minutes, they've calmed down and they're good. Um, and I've always emailed the parent to say, don't worry, your kid's good. Yeah. It's okay. Um, because I, I can only imagine how awful that is as a parent on the other side, just sitting there at their desk, wondering if your kid is okay. Right. Well, um, I carried Kai up the West Point Gray Academy Hill, Hill multiple times um, over my shoulder screaming because he didn't want to go to school. And it wasn't that he didn't want to go to school. He didn't want to leave me. Um, and, you know, it was just how he, we were very connected and he, he wanted to stay with me and right. He would just say it. I just want to stay with you all day long. That's all yeah. I can do, mama. I just want to be with you all day long. And you know, he just had a really hard time until around grade two. He just, you know, eventually he got over it. And in that moment, he's experiencing some sadness and some disappointment, but it's not as if that moment is going to last him all day long. You know, he, he had it, he felt the, the sadness, he felt the disappointment, he missed me. And then he was able to collect his sweet soul and move on to learning and, and connecting with his friends and laughing and playing. And, 
in some ways, I think to parents, I, I love to tell them it's a compliment. Yeah. <laughs> you such a magical experience in your home that your yeah. child loves so much that it's hard for them to leave that or a magical relationship that's hard to separate from. What we call that, like that's secure attachment. Absolutely. So, right. I mean, you're like that. And that's not to say that a kid who doesn't freak out isn't <laughs> attached to their caregiver, but <laughs> clear. let's just be very clear. Right. Um, um, but you know, it's, and he's talking about his feelings. You can't like, that's magical. The fact that these little people want to talk about their feelings too. And to go back to what you were asking, um, I think it's also really important for the parent to the, for the families to talk about the child's day and to talk about their feelings and to express themselves. And so many times parents come to me and they say, Miss Everett, like I, I ask my child every single day after school, how was your day? And they never answer me. And I said, yeah, well, you know, you can't, have you tried a different way? Because <laughs> if I were to ask, if I were to be asked, even as a 41 year old, how was your day? I would probably go fine. Or I don't know. Yeah. yeah. So I always say, try a different practice. So what I I advise my families to do is can sitting at the dinner table or in the car or whatever on, on the way to gymnastics or on the way to the pool or whatever you're doing after school. Can you tell me one squishy and one prickly? Mm-hmm. And so one squishy is like a really great moment that happened for you today. And a prickly is like a really unfortunate thing that happened, whether it was a choice that you made that didn't feel you feel good or a choice that somebody else made that didn't feel make you feel very good. And that gives them a little bit more of like a tangible thing to go on, not just like spouting off what happened in your day. Mm-hmm. And on top of that, get into the routine of role modeling. So if, you know, if I ask Bailey, Bailey, is there anything you want to tell me about your day to day at the, at the dinner table, her immediate response, because we've modeled it so much is no mommy. I want to hear about your day first. And so, because that's how I started it. I would always say like, here's my squishy for the day. And here's your, my prickly. Okay, Bailey, what can you tell me about your squishy and your prickly or daddy? Can you tell me about your squishy and your prickly? So she always wants to know about my stuff first, which is fine. I'm prepared. Equal sharing. (laughs) Yeah. So um, that would be another, another piece that I think I would kind of want the parents to think about maybe trying. Right. I hear this quite often in my practice too. You know, I pick up my child from school and I ask them right away, oh my gosh, how was your day? Because they're so excited. They haven't seen them in whatever amount of time, whether it's at half day school or full day school. And they they come in hot, you know, the parents come in and they're like, tell me everything. You know, and they want all the details and, and the child says like, it was fine. Or I don't remember. I hear, you know, I don't, because yes. they don't always remember. And um you know, children have to process their day too. So one of the things I offer is something a little bit uh, similar, but I'll say to them, when you see them, just tell them how nice it is to see them. Mm -hmm. It's so nice to see you. Mm -hmm. It just softens all the space. And because at the end of a work day, and really their school is 
is equated to a work day. They've been at school all day. They've been managing their own emotions. They've been managing friendships. They've been managing learning. And then they probably don't want to come off of their work day and be like, I'm going to tell you all about it. They may not want to talk about it right away. They may just want to let it all wash over them. Totally. Yeah. So someone, if I come in, you know, sometimes I I don't know if this happens to you, but, you know, I'll be, I'll have worked all day and I'll finally get to something, you know, social or I'll be in a social environment, you know, for one of my kids' activities and, and someone will start asking me or kind of wanting some help in their own situation about children or families and and they'll kind of pepper me with questions and I'll, I'll feel of course I'm always there to help but sometimes I feel like okay I just yeah it's been such a great day and I really enjoyed it but can we talk about something completely different than what I did all day can we talk yeah. about anything else so you know it's trying to I guess I, I only share that and that it's trying to remember what the experience is like for your child and putting yourself in their shoes, um, you know, which is hard when you're tired and you're probably like sleep deprived and malnourished potentially like there's, and you're thinking about all the other things and you want to connect with your kid because you legitimately miss them for the day. And so the first thing that comes to your head is how was your day? day? (laughs) It's a very innocent question. We ask it of each other all the time as adults. How are you? How are you? I know. I know it's such a, you know what? I've added a word. How are you today? Sometimes just adding the word today lets them be right in the moment and 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 sort of sink into that minute. I should probably say, how are you right now in this minute, in this hot minute? Um, but yeah. just change the phrase if I was going to ask it or if it came out of my mouth and I forgot to say something like, it's so nice to see you. Because um, I would do that to a friend too when I connect. It's so nice to see you versus how are you but if you slip with how are you I try to follow it up with the word today how are you today right now (laughs) so I like that I like that it just it's an easier question to answer but it's also like it's our go-to right we 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 don't even like as adults we don't even take the second to just like it's so great to see you hug take a deep breath yes now, how are you? <laughs> yeah, now we can go to the how are you. Yes. Now, we have that. now you can be real. <laughs> yeah, now you can let it all out. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's funny. Human beings can be funny that way. We, yeah. we can be, and I always say it's good to be curious, but um, maybe pick your timing as to when you're curious about the things that transpired um, in your child's day. And I often find children are very good at reciting about their day after you've read those nighttime stories and you've tucked in and you've they've just finally got to that very nice resting place and then they are sort of willing to uh, share about their day and it's a funny time for parents because we're often like oh my gosh we got you out the door in the morning we got you to school we got through the afternoon evening witching hour all of that stuff and now you're finally in bed and I just want to kiss you, read you a story, kiss you and, and close the door and turn the lights out. And the child all of a sudden has so much to offer. <laughs> We've got like, they come in hot with verbal um, ideas and things to share about their day. And I, and I hear this 
all the time from parents. I ask them all the time, when is your child most likely to talk to you? And every time it's at night. Yeah. And I and I get it. And I think it's because they finally feel like all the pressures of the day and the routines and the, you know, autonomy accomplishments that they're, you know, trying to do, whether it's, you know, cutting up part of your lunch or, you know, brushing your own teeth or getting into your own pajamas, all of it's over. All of the hard work is over and then they can just lay there and now they have something they want to share. Yeah. They're really processing everything, all the pieces and how they connect and interrelate. And then they've got all sorts of stories. And as the parent, it is really challenging because you are thinking, okay, you know, I'm going to go take a, a minute for myself too. Yeah. 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 <laughs> okay. On that note, can you share, I mean, you are a mom of seven month old twins on top of all of this too. And, and that, and what you said about you know, someone saying to you, well, if anyone can do it, you can do it. And I knew I, I probably was one of those people because I know you and know how competent you are. And, um, and, you know, people said that to me too, because yeah, I'm sure, you know, I would have, right. right? <laughs> I got pregnant and I, you know, I had no idea that I was having twins. And when I found out, you know, around that 12, 13 week mark and, and just thinking, oh my gosh, are you sure? Like who who decided that I was, this was going to be my job, right? This is crazy. Um, and I had self-doubts about what this was going to be like and if, if I could do it too. Uh, so that really resonated with me. But, you know, here you are, you're in it. And what would you say are your struggles, you know, as a mom? Because I think so many moms feel alone they're kind of in the thick of it and you truly are you are in the thick of it so what would you say are their hardest moments um so what I touched on well first of all the postpartum hair loss is real okay yeah yeah okay. and I am right in the thick of it okay. which is great um no but uh, the feeling judged that that's a big one that I had already touched on before that that is probably my number one struggle is that feeling judged people thinking that because I'm an educator um, because I'm passionate about education because I read about all this stuff all the time that I'm going to have all the tools to fix my children or to train my children or for them to behave themselves and it's not the case Bailey is a extremely passionate energetic um strong-willed she has a strong voice um and she it, it is hard and I feel judged all the time by those around me and I think the hardest judgment is my fam like I feel like my family um judges me and they don't like 100% they do not judge me at all yeah. but I feel it like and that feeling is so hard right. to kind of get through those moments where I yeah this is a funny question and I don't know if anyone's asked you this but do you think that because your family truly doesn't they just want no. you to 
best for you and they're just trying to help you and they're watching you kind of in this crazy moment of your life with a three-year-old and a set of seven-month-old twins and you're juggling and doing the best you can and you've lost your connection to all of your pillars or you're having to be really picky about where you get your top filled um do you think at times though because you know all of this you judge yourself and that feeling of self-judgment for sure it's it's huge and like I should know how to fix this why am I not you know she's having an epic tantrum on the on the floor and I'm like why can't I why can't I find the tool that's going to work I have a hundred of them but like and then you feel crappy about yourself as a parent and a person and an educator and then oh I'm not like I don't I'm not valid anymore you know I don't I don't fit in anywhere and yeah, it's, it's, it's a big one for me. It's a big, big piece of it. Um, and then on top of that, like (laughs) I was reading an article, um, yesterday about parenting and the iceberg theory and how like, you know, the, an iceberg, there's stuff on the top and then there's all the deep rooted stuff going on. And you talk about that with the child and then, but this woman talked about it with the adult and the parent and how, you know, what your child is doing triggers all these things down below underneath the water. And it's all your childhood traumas, your own childhood stuff that happened to you that, and trying not to let that impact how you then parent so when I get triggered by Bailey it's because of something that's happened that is triggering my like fear of abandonment or my um other fears whatever they could be fear of abandonment is a big one for me (laughs) so yeah yeah. uh, and then reacting so trying not to let my childhood trauma create a reaction towards Bailey that will then potentially give her trauma right so it's like it's big (laughs) and you know I think one thing that's really I mean I say this almost on every podcast and, and I'll say it again today is that people come to me one of two ways they come to me and they say I need to go through my childhood and work through what's happened so that when I do respond to my child I know I cannot respond from that place. And, it, and it's often fear, right? There's often a fear that shows up or multiple fears that show up through our the way we our children behave and then it triggers that fear and then we parent in a way that we're not proud of. And it's not a great feeling. So we really do what I call the work and we unpack all of that in relation to what's currently going on. So we've got a live stream of events happening in the home. And then I ask them, well, how were you raised? You know, talk to me about some, you know, interactions with your parents. What was something that you'd never do again? What is something that you want to repeat? What are, what were some pivotal moments in your life that you absolutely will never forget? And usually that question reveals the, you know, where the sticky points are. And when we do that work, I really free the parent completely. Like they can just emotionally go, oh, okay, I can breathe, find my center and parent from there. Or they come at me and they just say, you know what? I just need more tools. 
I just need more tools in my toolbox. And I'm so happy to fill your toolbox and talk about different ways to approach things that will, you know, hopefully allow for more success. And, and that's okay too. And maybe they're that's all they need for different reasons and it's personal. And I am never going to ask someone to go into a space they don't want to go into. But the most transformational work I see in my practice is when they want to go back, visit some of those pivotal moments and undo some of those things so that they can parent from a place of peace. And in that place, they get to be their child's witness. They get to love them and watch them grow and enjoy them without feeling like they need to control them, <laughs> control their outcome, <laughs> control too. Sure. We let go of control. Yeah. <laughs> I know it's true. And it's hard work to have to like when you're dealing with all this stuff of like sleep training and creating sleep schedules and managing feeding and the three-year-old schedule and who's driving who to school and who's picking them up and and who's going to pack their lunch and what are we going to have for dinner and then you also are expected to like dig into yourself and and um, and yeah and, and make those changes and make those realizations that are probably really hard. And, you know, it, it's, it's, again, it's a lot. A lot. I know. I'm saying it, but it's a lot. Well, and, you know, I think there's a readiness that you kind of spoke to when people are, are they sort of get pushed often through the, their children being a mirror for them and what's happening for them. And when they get to that place of just like, okay, you know, they feel like they're at their wits end and then I get the phone call and that's usually where all the beautiful growth happens because it just gets messy enough for them to say, I do want to set aside the time. It's, it's so sticky and it's so uncomfortable and I'm, I'm not parenting in a way that I feel good about that. That's usually when I get the call and, and that's okay. That I, I sort of think that that's where we get the most um, bang for our buck in terms of emotional growth is when we just feel like we, we, we've hit a wall. We're like, I can't do this anymore. I need something to change. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah. And that's okay. I think you're right because when you do it, you do have to bring a willingness and you do have to make a choice to set aside time. And you're right, it's, it's incredibly busy. So, yeah. and, that, and when that time shows up, it's really obvious. <laughs> It's not, it's not a quiet knock on the door. That's <laughs> no, really not. Yeah. It's no, it's an epic yeah. yeah. Really unfortunate choices. <laughs> the wheels are off the bus. <laughs> and everyone's like, I can't do this. And I'm no. like, perfect. It's, it's okay. It's yeah. okay you can't, but that's where it's it sounds silly to say, but that's sort of where it where all the growth happens and the magic happens and sort of where I, I need them to be for that to happen. So Oh my gosh, Sarah, thank you so much for sharing so openly and honestly. I really, I think my favorite, if I go back in my mind, I mean, there's a thousand favorite parts of this conversation, but one of my favorite parts is talking about the classroom and, and you know, reminding and offering parents that, that that's their space to learn and to grow. And I think that's a beautiful thing to offer parents and to know that their kids will be okay in that space and that they're, they're loved by teachers like you and they're cared for by teachers like you and um and that's a beautiful thing to to remind parents of and and to share your your own personal journey of what it's like to have all the knowledge and and yet you know and to also still struggle and and that that's okay I think mm -hmm. people 
feel alone when they struggle. And part of the reason I wanted to do this was to say, you know what, no one's alone and, and we can we can connect and support each other because this is a, a an amazing journey, but a hard journey. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And nice to have conversations about it. And and I think I don't know if we said this on or off the air, but I you know, people say like it's all okay over here. Like, you know, I got this. <laughs> but no. Not. Not okay. No, I. That's why I call it. I want to meet you behind your white picket fence. I don't want to meet you where you're telling me it's all perfect and it's all fine because that that doesn't feel real. It doesn't feel raw. And this the conversations I want to have are those ones. So I can't thank you enough. Um, yeah. I love talking to you about all things education and parenting and teaching. It's yeah to talk to you about (laughs) I know so much fun I always say like I I think I put on my Instagram last night like these conversations set my soul on fire because it's true there's so much there and um, I think I we hit on a hot topic that I said we should go back to so we will um, we could even get specific and have more of these conversations because there's a lot that we can do to support our children um, and give them what I often say is autonomy over control and it's a big word for kids and you touched on that today and I think that there's so much there that we could talk about because as parents we want to off we we often think there's a fight for control in the home and and really what I like to offer them is to help your children become autonomous human beings and when they do that they can go from that platform it's so nice and and to stop thinking about this from a a position of control yeah and it's a scary thing I mean Bailey has her own fridge and so many people looked at me and was like what she has her own fridge so she can just come and go and get whatever she wants I said yeah but I do like I come and go and get my I put healthy stuff in there and we talk about it and we have the nutrition chart on her fridge and we talk about making good choices but like I don't know it's scary like it's a scary thing to give your child that much choice and that much kind of freedom but you also well you're giving her autonomy and I think um we really should probably do a full podcast on this because what you're touching on is her connecting to her own hunger dial and oh my tummy feels hungry right now this is where I can go to nourish myself and And this is what I feel like eating yes and my mom set me up for success she hasn't put Oreos in my refrigerator. Yeah. She's put healthy things in my refrigerator. So nothing against the Oreo for all, no. for all <laughs> Oreo lovers out there. But I'm just saying you've set her up for success. Yeah, trying so, to. Yeah, of course. I know. And then there's the letting go. And, it, you know, and the letting go is scary. And there's all stages of letting go through parenting that, that we'll bump up against. And I'd say the teenage let go is probably the, uh, you know, one that feels the hardest. But if you've practiced it along the way, right, the teenage let go is hard. And then the, the launch let go is hard. But if you've practiced along the way of, of, you know, getting children to connect to who they are, and then being able to make choices that that are supportive of their own being, then it will be easier for you. And it's part of the work that you do now to make your job. Like, as you said, it takes time to allow your child to get in the kitchen and cut the cucumber. And then you know, but that time is like an investment in the bank of her growing into an autonomous human being, and that will pay tenfold down the road. 
so, so. <laughs> yeah, no. Well, I'm gonna sit over here and say, I know so. <laughs> I'll hold the faith for you. Okay, great. All right, uh, we'll wrap this up, but let's do it um, for sure again. And it's so great to have you on. So again, thank you so much. Thank you so much.